if I'm a superhuman, then you're a superhuman because every single human being on this planet, we have access to the same superpower, which is our ability to flex and develop what I like to call the six inches between our ears, our minds, right? What's funny about the mind is that for whatever reason, culturally, we don't immediately do the same thing. You're like, yo, I want to be more mentally sharp. I want to have more grit. I want to have more resilience. I want to have more creativity. And like my answer to that is like, yeah, just like you want to have the, the, the ripped biceps for the beach or whatever, like you got to take your mind to the mental gym. You got to mm. do those reps on the mental bench press. You're tuning into the Men of the Hour podcast, where I, your host, Justin Crawford, have been interviewing today's most influential men for over two years now on the show. And if there's anything I've learned in six seasons, it's that when you sit a man down for more than 30 minutes, you may get him to open up about some things he may never have before. And that's the point of the show. Thanks for tuning in wherever you're listening and being with us on this episode today. I truly hope you're able to learn something new and take something positive away from this conversation because after all, that's what podcasting is all about. Welcome to Men of the Hour Podcast Season 7. My friends, you're back for another episode of the Men of the Hour. And we're amid season seven. And I thought to myself, who the hell are we going to bring on the show? And right now I'm joined by Colin O'Brady. If you haven't heard of him before, he's a 10-time world-breaking explorer, speaker, entrepreneur, and expert on mindset. And I say all of that as this title because I'm staring at him right now. And I just can only imagine the stories that he has uh, curated over time, especially having been like an adventurer at heart. Uh, he's a Yale University graduate with a BA in economics, which means he's super freaking smart. But he's most popularly known for all the human powered crossings that he's done in his lifetime and the things that he's accomplished around being almost what I consider a superhuman. So we have a little to learn from you today, Colin. So thank you for joining us uh, or joining me rather on, on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Great to be here with you. I think a lot of folks, they're like, okay, well, I know Colin O'Brady to be an adventurer and I know that he's you know broken a lot of world records. You, you had to have learned a lot from that time too, but what got you immediately into almost being what I consider a superhuman at this point uh, and really challenging not only your body, but your mind throughout this entirety of like, uh, you know, the adventures of what you've been doing. Yeah, you know, it's been a it's been an iterative journey. You know, it's not you don't just wake up and uh, have ten world records. It's been a lot of ups and downs and uh, back and forth. Um, but you know, since I was a young kid, I always dreamed of, you know, having big adventures. Uh, you know, I always dreamed of climbing Mount Everest when I was a little kid. But um, didn't have a lot of money growing up. Um, but had parents that encouraged me to dream big and and work hard towards those goals. So um, you know, that was a, a big part of my childhood. But really, you know, I think a massive turning point for me. Um, was just after college, I really wanted to see the world. Didn't, again, didn't have a lot of money growing up. I painted houses every summer when I was a kid um, to sort of just, you know, save up and be like, when I graduate college, I'm going to take a trip somewhere and see a little bit of the world that I didn't have to, didn't get to experience as a young person. And so I, uh, I took a backpack and a surfboard and traveled um, out into the world um, by myself, shoestring budget. Like, I mean, I was like, you know, 10, 20 bucks a day, sleeping on friends, couches, random people out with me, like hitchhiking around. Um, great experience. All until I found myself on this small beach in rural Thailand. And I actually, um, unfortunately, I had the, had the great idea to jump a flaming jump rope. And in an instant, my life sort of just completely changed. I, uh, this, this jump rope, it had kerosene on it, wrapped around my legs, lit my body completely on fire to my neck had to jump into the ocean to extinguish the flames, which saved my life, but not before about 25% of my body was severely burned, um, predominantly my legs and feet. And there was no proper hospital where I was in this island. There was no you know, proper medical facilities. I had a moped ride down a dirt path to a one-room nursing station um, where I underwent these kind of eight sur surgeries. And I would come out of these surgeries and there'd be a cat running around my bed and across my chest, just like, you know, all time bad set of circumstances. Um, and the worst part uh, of all, not just the physical trauma, but the emotional pain when the doctor looked at me and he says, Hey, I hate to tell you this, but you'll probably never walk again normally um, mm -hmm. based on the way that my ligaments were burned in my ankles and knees and stuff like that. They're like, I don't think you're going to be able to make a full recovery from this. 
And it was a negative downward spiral, man. I know this is a crazy answer to like, how did you become an adventurer? But like sometimes from adversity, we learn a lot. Um, and fortunately that my mother was there to really help me, um, you know, get through this time. She kind of came into my hospital room. You know, she told me now she was you know, crying in the hallways, pleading with the doctors, but she never showed me that fear. Instead, she came into my hospital room every single day with just this huge smile on her face this air of positivity, daring me to dream about the future, just being like, what do you want to do when we get out, when you get out of here? Like, let's dream, dream as big as possible. I now call this, and I talk about it in my new book, the 12 hour walk, this concept I call uh, a possible mindset. And I define that as an empowered way of thinking that unlocks a life of limitless possibilities. So even in my lowest, lowest moment, my mom's just like dream. Um, and so I closed my eyes and I opened them. I said, well, I just saw myself crossing the finish line of a triathlon which given my legs seemed really under, she, I, she could have been like, yeah, I said, set a goal, but like maybe, you know, the legs, something a little more realistic, but she was like, cool. In fact, maybe you should start training right now. And she yells over to the Thai doctor. She goes, Hey doc, my son's training for a triathlon, bring him in some weights. And I have this photograph. I'm bandaged from the waist down. My legs are like, so like bloody and bandaged. I have no skin in the lower half of my body, but I'm lifting these 10 pound dumbbells. And the Thai doctor is looking at me in this photo, like this stupid American kid. I just told him he's never going to walk again normally. <laughs> uh, long story short, um, I, uh, you know, flew back from the, from Thailand after a few months in that hospital, I was still on a wheelchair. I was carried on and off the plane. Couldn't, we still couldn't walk. Um, but I had this goal fixed in my mind and over the next 18 months, I learned how to walk again and eventually jog and run. And I raced the Chicago triathlon. This was in 2009. And, uh, I completed that race um, uh, to, to, to please, or surprise the doctor, but to surprise them myself, I didn't just finish the race, but I actually won placing first in the entire Chicago triathlon. And, you know, I know it's a somewhat of a long answer to your first question here, but that moment it was such a massive turning point in my life because my mother through her guidance taught me this possible mindset, this idea that not just me, and I fundamentally believe this. And, and I teach this in my book, the 12 hour walk that came out last week. I, you know, I think all of us, all of us humans, we have these reservoirs of untapped potential inside of us to achieve extraordinary things, but it all starts with the mind. I love to say the most important muscle any of us has is the six inches between our ears. And so learning how to flex and develop that, um, and I also say, you know, a lot of times we're afraid of failure and I wouldn't wish that burn accident on my worst enemy, but I set 10 world records now. And I say that humbly after I was burned, not, I had all these successes and then I, you know, messed up my life. Actually the adversity, mm. the overcoming of that has set me up for the successes that I've had, um, in my life since then. Mm. I want to take it back for a moment too. I mean, I mean, folks like you can't hear that and not feel like you can go do anything that you want, right? Like Colin, I think that's so freaking cool because even if it was like 2009, which is what dated back at like a couple, like some handful of years ago, you start thinking back to when, I mean, an accident like that changes your life, of course, but it's what you do with it. And a lot of folks, I think today are struggling with having to deal with, you know, either uncontrollable, uncontrollable circumstances, uh, or maybe something like this, where it's just like a, you know, freak accident. Uh, and so when you were kind of going through maybe like the weariness or almost the fear of having to come out of it on the other side, uh, what did you tell yourself? I know your mom was there with you too. So like, ultimately when you thought about like really coming out, uh, on the other side of this and making a lot of things possible, even after such a crazy experience, what was that like? Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest thing was, and I love to say this, I'm fond of saying, you know, we are the stories that we tell ourselves. And I think in, in hard times, it's very easy. And we all know this, we can easily, you know, beat up on ourselves, right. With these limiting beliefs mm -hmm. and these thoughts like, Oh, I'm never going to be the same. I'm such an idiot for making this mistake. Or like you said, stuff we can't control oh, the, the economy or COVID lockdown, right? Like we've all been through a lot of adversity as a, as a species over the last you know, a couple of years with COVID and everything. And I'm not impervious that to either. I've had some dark, you know, moments, some deep sadness, et cetera. But in general, it's like trying to fill, fill your mind with that, that positivity, at least for me, or that guiding principle. I love to say, I love to ask people this question, which is, you know, what's your Everest? And, you know, for me, when I was a little kid, like I dreamed of climbing Mount Everest, you know, that was like my big goal. I didn't know, again, I had no idea how I was going to do it, how I was going to learn how to climb mountains, how I was going to have the money to afford it. You know, there's all these things why I that would never be able to do that. But I was like, that's my goal. And I'm going to keep that focus. And I'm going to keep chipping away at it. And I love to ask people that question because I think it is, it, 
the answer can be anything. It's like, I I asked that because I want to climb Everest, but what's that big goal? What's that big hope, that dream? It can be make a million dollars, impact a million lives, um, you know, family, entrepreneurship, music, creativity, love. Like there's no right answer to that question. But when you answer that question for yourself, it anchors that. Like, just like for me in this burn accident, I just said triathlon and that gave me purpose for the next like 18 months. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't a linear path. I had to learn how to walk again. I had to train my body. I had to have all these things, but having that big kind of carrot out there helped. But then getting into the micro of that is like, what's one small step I can take today? What's one small step I can take tomorrow? Um, And and I think that that is is really crucial to, you know, depth of fulfillment and achievement. Mm. Back to mom for a moment. The, I mean, just you guys being in Thailand together just sounds like I would, I don't even know if I can envision my mom and I going through what you got, you and your mom had went through. What is she, what does that relationship look like now between the two of you? Uh, I mean, it sounds like you've gotten a lot of your resilience and grit from her just inherently, but having gone through that and then, you know, her, I mean, she literally was telling you to like lift weights in the middle of a hospital. Are you kidding me? My mom would be like, um, are you going to be okay? You know, like treating a little bit more like, um, like just like a softer relationship, I guess. And that's just me, let alone everybody else listening. So, you know, what, what, what do you and your mother like say to each other now? And, and what, what have your experience of a relationship really looked like over the years? Yeah, you know, I think I'm I'm really fortunate. My mother's been, you know, a hugely positive influence in my life. Um, and you know, in innumerable ways, you know, of course, in that moment in the Thai hospital, her strength, you know, really and her strength and grit got me through. Um, but my mother is not like some hard, like tough person, like she's very soft. See, I envision someone that's hard and tough. <laughs> yeah. Um, but also, you know, it's funny now that I've you know, with the 10 world records, you know, walking across Antarctica solo, climbing Everest twice, you know, the, the different things that I've done that are inherently risky, right? Like people lose their lives, you know, doing these things. Um, and so people have interviewed my mother and asked her like, you know, like, aren't you afraid? Like, aren't you scared? Um, and she's like, yeah, absolutely. But she also says, you know, careful what you wish for when from the day your kid is born, you whisper in their ear, you can do anything you set your mind to, you know? And so she, she's like, of course I worry about him, but she's also never trying to hold me back. She's like, look, if that's your dream, if that's your goal, like I'm your mother. So I worry about you, but I also support you. I love you. And having that unconditional love and support, um, has been huge. And I, you know, one of the, the, you know, I'm fortunate to have that. And by way uh, of parents, and hopefully a lot of people listening have, you know, supportive families, but I recognize that not everyone comes from that background, you know, where they have their family, you know, having their back and supporting them unconditionally. Um, but I talk about, you know, in my, in my new book, the 12 hour walk, each, each chapter is broken down around like common limiting beliefs that we have common things that are holding us back. So, you know, I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time. I'm not, what, what if I fail? I'm not strong enough. And one of them has to do with community. You know, you can frame it around friends, friends and family, but like, I don't have the right people around me. And it's true, you know, when it comes to family, you don't get to choose, right? You're, you come into this world, you're born by a mother, father, and, and hopefully there is some positivity in that relationship. Mm. But ultimately, to the to the person that would say like, well, I don't have that relationship with my mother, I don't have that relationship with my father. What I have found is that as adults, particularly, we have the autonomy to choose who we surround ourselves with, you know, and that can be tough. Sometimes you can be like, oh, but we've been I've been friends with this person for 20 years just because we grew up together. And you you really kind of look, take an audit of that and realize person's not really supporting me. Like I tell them about a big dream I have and they go like, oh man, you shouldn't do that. That's impossible. Or, you know, like we all have like those relationships as well. And it can be tough, but I think having that, like kind of that audit, uh, so to speak on your relationships can be really impactful. Cause I believe for sure that we're the net product of the five or 10 people we spend the most time with. I, you know, I, I it's kind of a silly phrase, but it's like, you know, spend time with, spend time with four millionaires. You're likely to be the fifth, spend time with four criminals. You're likely to be the fifth too. You know, it's just sort of like you you can be dictated by your surroundings. Um, and that can go, I'll take that a step further. And that can go to your, your sort of digital community, whether that's, you know, podcast hosts, whether that's people you follow on social media, that can either be a hugely uplifting and positive. Hopefully you're listening to this podcast because you're, you know, looking for some inspiration and positivity. But we also all know that feeling like you've been following these people on Instagram or whatever. And they like trigger, like every time you see their picture, you're like jealous or frustrated or annoyed or whatever. But like, here's the thing, like you're literally doing that to yourself. 
Like you actually can right now on your phone, just pull out your phone, like unfollow that person, like take that negativity from like your, your mental space. So it's interesting how as humans, we can, uh, for whatever reasons, kind of surround ourselves with that. But my mother, obviously hugely influential in my life, but I also, um, I equate a lot of the, the success that I've had throughout my career to kind of curating the energy of the community, both, and not just a one race street, not just surrounding myself with people that like support me, but there's an energetic residence when you can do that both ways and support the people that you love and you care about um, equally. Yeah, I 100% agree. So then I have to ask you, who you, who do you surround yourself with? Uh, and then if you are around maybe five very special, important people that influence you in a positive way that make you the fifth billionaire or the fifth, like you said, millionaire, billionaire, like how, like, who are those people around you? Yeah. You know, my, my wife has played a really significant, um, role in, in everything that I've done. We've been together for almost 15 years. Um, we met when our, in our early twenties and, you know, we've, she's been around, she was there with me during the burn accident, not in the hospital, but she, you know, we knew each other right before then. Um, so she's been through those low moments, uh, with me, um, my, you know, professional career, uh, building these world record projects, fellow dreamer, fellow co-conspirator. And she's built all the businesses that we've created that we've had, you know, quite a bit of business success and starting and selling companies, et cetera. So she's been like ride or die and all of those things. It's not just a, a wife, but a, a business partner. But then, you know, there's other sort of different categories in my life. You know, there's people that I surround myself with that inspire me in, in one way, shape or form. And that can be, you know, there's, there's some business mentors that I have people that have been wildly successful that it's great to, you know, bounce ideas off or learn from, et cetera. Um, there's people that I, you know, surround myself with my wife and I are looking to start a family at this point where people are, I'm like, just really admire the way that they are with their kids, you know, regardless of what else they've got going on in their life. It's like, yo, um, actually, I'm, I'm at my friend's house in Atlanta right now. Um, my friend Mark, and one of the things I admire about him, very successful guy, no matter what he's doing, right at, I think it's from 6 to 7 p.m. every single night, he's got two sons. Him and his sons go out and they play outside every day for an hour, literally no matter what, like he will drop everything. He'll get on the a flight back home from business meeting, whatever, to make sure he's there. And I just look at that quality and I say like, you know, I admire that. So there's all different kinds of things that you kind of can solve for, but I think it's just having that resonant um, positivity and also you know, a lot of the projects that I've done, like when I was said, I'm going to walk across Antarctica solo and no one in history had ever done that before. And, and the guy who tempted it before me, um, he died. Someone else also ran out of food and had to get rescued. It's a thousand mile journey, pulling a 375 pound sled. Um, and it's look, it's not like I'm going to surround myself with reckless friends who are like, go kill yourself in Antarctica. <laughs> right, but right. at the same time, like when I said that to like my close community, like, Hey, like I'm thinking about this. I think if I train up, I think I could maybe pull this off. And it's very easy to look at something like that and be like, don't do that, man. That's a terrible idea. You're going to fail out there. But instead, you know, I had a lot of people in my corner, my mother, my wife, but also close friends of mine who were like, heck yeah, man, like we believe in you, like you can do this. And I had some serious low moments in those first couple of days pulling my sled. Like I could barely even pull my sled on day one. It was so heavy. I was crying out there. Like the tears, they froze to my face because it's minus 40 degrees in Antarctica. Like, you know, it's, it's brutal. But I thought back in my mind, I was like, yeah, people believed in me. And so therefore it gave me more belief in myself. Mm. I mean, you said you, you initially said to yourself and to your friends, I think I can do this. When did I think transfer to I know and then ultimately get you to do that because that's insane and it's amazing that you were able to do all that plus so much more but it's why we can look at you and I say the word superhuman and then in the dictionary it's like probably got your name somewhere in the definition you know what I mean <laughs> like that's that's wild most people say oh I think I could do this right but then you were like yeah I think but then I'm sure at some point you said I know I'm gonna do this and here's why well so I think that the biggest thing is is you know first you got to dream it up. Right. And then you got to actually get yourself out there. Um, I remember after a year or so of dreaming and planning and training my body and all this, it was time, finally time for me to depart, um, for Antarctica. And I was flying down there and I found out there was actually another guy going to be attempting the crossing at the exact same time, unbeknownst to me as British guy, this like badass, like British Navy seal, um, equivalent of a Navy seal in the British military. And, when I say the same time, I mean, literally, we found ourselves sitting shoulder to shoulder on a cargo plane right next to each other, getting dropped off in Antarctica on the edge of the continent, because there's one guy with one plane that can take you there. We lined up the same logistics on the exact same day. 
um, unbeknownst to each other. So all of a sudden I thought I was racing history, a thousand mile journey, like, you know, really deep, you know, uh, cut from my, with myself. And all of a sudden, like, yeah, I'm still trying to be the first, but now it's a head to head 1000 mile race against this most badass like Navy seal dude you've ever seen in your life. And you're like, Oh shit. Um, okay. So we get dropped off right next to each other. We, we decide to spread out by a mile just so like, we're not standing right next to one another. And I start trying to pull my sled and all of a sudden, like I can't pull my sled. It's so heavy, 375 pounds. Cause we were trying to do something called unsupported, which means no resupplies of food or fuel. So whatever you take with you, you've got to take with you the whole time. So I've got, you know, as much food as I can carry, but I'm still not going to be able to eat nearly enough. Like I'm on a 3000 calorie deficit every day, burning 10,000 calories, only eating seven. I'm going to lose a ton of weight. And I knew all of this going in. I thought I had trained. I thought I had prepped for it. And I can't pull my sled. Like I literally can't make it. Like I can make it like 10 steps and I have to stop 10 steps. and I have to stop. And like I said, I started crying and I'll tell you the most all time, most pathetic feeling in the world is that you're in the middle of Antarctica and tears. They're freezing to your face. Cause you're feeling so pathetic and down on yourself. And I look over, I'm thinking, you know, captain Lou, this British guy, he must, he must, uh, be struggling out here too. And I look over to my right and he's, no struggles. He's just like crushing it, like disappears off the horizon, like kicking my ass on day one. So I finally reach for my satellite phone. I call, I call to my wife because I'm just in such a down, down place. And I'm like, I had called my project the impossible first. And I said to her, I said, you know, like, I think we named the project the right thing. Um, this is obviously impossible. I can't even pull my sled for the first hour, let alone a thousand more miles. And, you know, she said a couple of things to me on that day that really turned things around. One of them was, and I think this is important for everyone to realize, she was like, you might fail at this. We'll see. You're not, you haven't failed yet. It's day one. You might fail at this, like meaning to fail to make it all the way to the other side and set this world record or whatever. She's like, but you're out there. Like you're actually in Antarctica right now. You know how many people like sit around, they're like, you know, having a couple beers with your friends. You're like, yo, we're going to run a marathon next year. We're going to train. We're going to do that, whatever. And then you wake up the next day a little hungover and you're like, yeah, man, like, I'm not gonna, like, I'm not going to do that shit. Or like, I'm going to start that business. I'm going to do the thing, like whatever. And then like even a week, let alone a year later, you're just like, yeah, like, you know, I'm busy, man. I'm not going to like do that. She was like, yo, you are in Antarctica right now. Like you are like, you know how hard it is to even just get to the start line of your dreams. Like, and that was important. I think that's important for people to remember that. And then the other thing that happened, she was like, just get, make a little bit of progress today, set up your tent, get a good night's sleep. It's the first day or try to reset your mind in the morning. And I, I go to sleep. I'm out there in Antarctica, completely alone by myself out there. And I go to sleep and I wake up that next morning. Mm. I'm like, who's in the tent with me? And it wasn't Lou. He didn't come back for me. He was long gone. Um, but I woke up and I had like the five worst versions of myself basically sitting in the tent with me, you know, like in like I've pictured myself like five different versions of me staring like Colin, you idiot. Like you already failed. Like you're, you suck. You can't even pull your sled. Like this is never going to work. Like we know that feeling, right? When we get in our own head and we get that negative dialogue going. Um, my new book, the 12 hour walk is about how we can all conquer this mindset. And in this moment, I was like, I love this phrase, which is, we are the stories that we tell ourselves. Mm -hmm. We are the stories that we tell ourselves. In this moment, I'm telling myself the worst possible version of myself, of how much of a failure I am, how much I suck. And like, whatever, I just, I'm beating myself up. And so I actually stood up outside of my tent by myself. I'm in the middle of nowhere in Antarctica. And I yell as loud as I can, actually, top of my lungs out loud. I start yelling like, Colin, you are strong. You are capable. You are strong. You are capable. Just trying to drown out that negative voice in my head. And that gave me enough strength um, and ability to keep pushing, pushing further. You know, I was able to, you know, get, keep pushing. Um, I ultimately caught up to captain Lou on day six, um, past him. And then 54 days later, a thousand miles later, 54 days, completely alone in Antarctica, pulling this sled, I made it to the other side and ended up being the first person to cross Antarctica. But the lessons in that, I mean, there's a lot, there's so many, I mean, I, I wrote another book called the impossible first about this as a New York times bestseller that came out a couple of years ago about the whole Antarctica journey. So there's a lot of lessons in there, but like, the reason I share that with you is you're like, when did you go from thinking to believing? And I think it's iterative in some regard. Like I dreamed it up and I had the fortitude to like get myself to the start line. 
And that was hard. Just getting myself there, being like every day, like, I'm going to go. I'm going to set the date. I'm going to put the date on my calendar. I'm going to go out there. And then I get out there and I'm like, oh, shit, was this a bad idea? You got to like reorient your mind. No, no, no. Colin, you're strong. You're capable every single day. Chip away at it one day at a time. And each one of those days, like each one of those little steps, quite literally in this case, you got me one step closer to reaching the goal. Mm. You hit the nail on the head, which is like it's a daily thing. I think it's far too often folks, and, and you mentioned this a bit ago, it's like people will sit there and say that they'll run a marathon, go drinking, wake up hungover, and then choose not to do it. But what, what do they used to say about like sprints, not marathons, right? So that's like you taking that many days, 50 plus, you know, and, and being able to do that across Antarctica, you know, and it's waking up every single day and fighting those five demons, right? And totally. then telling yourself certain things that'll get you out of your own head. Speaking of, I have to bring this up because Dr. Mark Hyman's amazing and he's written 14 New York Times bestsellers and you're on your way to do, probably doing the exact same thing. But he, he once mentioned that you, uh, if you're looking for a mental clarity type book, the 12 hour walk is and should be in your toolkit. And I, the reason I bring that up is because I think of mental clarity and I don't, you're giving me mental clarity right now, to be honest with you. I always tell people, I'm like, this podcast is Justin Crawford's therapy. Thank you. But more importantly, if you're listening right now, um, we should, we should uncover that for a second. How do you define, and if it looks like I'm doing anything, I'm really trying to like adjust my podcast stand. Um, how do you define mental clarity? And then, you know, as you, as you relate it to everything that you've accomplished, especially going through that Antarctica journey. Yeah. So, you know, that it's a great, great segue to talk about the 12 hour walk, which is my new book, but it's also a a call to action. It's a global movement, anything, something we all can do that's freely accessible out our front door, where we can invest one day in ourselves, conquer our mind, unlock our best life. So I'll unpack that a little bit. Um, uh, that's great. Yeah. The, that quote from, from Dr. Mark Hyman on the back of my book, I was actually just on the phone with him this morning. He's such an incredible human thought leader, um, and, uh, a good friend of mine. Um, when I was walking across Antarctica, one of the things that happened is that my body was declining pretty significantly. So I was 12 hours was actually the amount of time I was pulling my sled every single day. So that was my daily, um, daily pull. Um, and that was so that I didn't hopefully run out of food. I still didn't have nearly enough with me by the end. I had lost so much weight that my ribs were sticking out. My hips were sticking out. I had frostbite, um, starting on my face and cheeks and my finger. I mean, my body was in a significant, significant decline, um, because there's just no way to take enough calories or fuel with you for the entire journey to fully, you know, kind of replenish everything you're putting out. And as I made it, you know, further, further into the journey, as my body was declining more and more, what actually ended up happening is my mind got stronger and stronger. Um, you know, the silence, the stillness, the vastness of Antarctica, I tapped into these meditative bliss, this meditative flow state. And so by the end, despite, you know, when my wife saw me, she could barely recognize me because I, my face was so sunken and my body was just so beat up. And it took me a long time to physically recover from that. But I had found this deep place spiritually inside of myself, just with deep clarity, deep purpose, deep focus. My priorities aligned around family, around love, around business, just like dialed. Like my mindset was just so sharp. And so when I got back from Antarctica, I was like, great. Like I learned this lesson. I can take this with me, you know, forever. And in a lot of ways, of course, that mindset is still there and with me and that possible mindset that I talked about that my mother, you know, empowered me with this ability to dream of limitless possibilities. But the thing is, is that COVID knocked me on my ass, just like it did for so many of us, man. You know, like I, uh, you know, I had this New York times was selling book. I was touring around. I was getting ready to leave for an Everest expedition with my wife. Like things were going great. And boom, like every, just like the rest of us, March, 2020 hits. And like, you know, the world gets turned upside down. Everything's canceled. And to be clear, like my life getting, you know, delayed or canceled is the least of the world's problems, like in this moment of time. But I found myself, you know, sitting uh, in, a, in a house on the Oregon coast and my family's house, just me, my wife and my dog. And I'm just doom scrolling the news, man. Like, I'm so anxious. I'm fearful. The borders are closing. People are getting sick. People are dying. Like, we all remember this, like, moment of, like, deep uncertainty, like, happening, you know, on the planet as, as COVID is spreading. 
And at one point my wife looks over at me and she's used to me being like, just dialed. Like my mindset is just sharp and dialed, but I'm not impervious to having some low moments. And she's like, Hey, just as a heads up, I'm not sure if you're aware, like you haven't uh, changed out of your pajamas in like three days. Like you just been sitting there on the couch, just like, you know, on my social, like scrolling the news, like reading all these headlines and stuff like that. And I, she was right. Like I had gotten myself into a pretty bad headspace. And so I thought back to at that point, when was the last time I felt just like deeply just dialed in my mind, body and spirit? And I was like, you know, it was those 12 hour days walking across Antarctica, despite how challenging it was, despite the life or death stakes, despite the fact that my body was declining, I actually felt so clear in my mind. So I said, well, I'm going to try to grasp for straws here. And I said to her, you know, tomorrow morning, I'm going to go out for a walk 12 hours, like all day long. And she was like, yeah, okay, whatever. See you at dinner time. Like have fun, <laughs> you know? And so I literally in the middle of COVID lockdown, I'm on this tiny little small, small town on the Oregon coast. And I walk outside and I go for a walk and about 20 minutes into that walk. My phone buzzes in my pocket, a buddy of mine's texting me and I pull up my phone I'm about to text him back. And I think to myself like, what am I doing? Like, I'm out here trying to clear my head. Like, I don't even like text everyone back. I've been like on all these Zoom calls and all the things we we're doing during COVID, right? <laughs> and I just say like, put my phone on airplane mode and I end up walking alone in silence, 12 hours, no music, no podcast, just me and my thoughts. My mind like raced through all a bunch of different things. But ultimately when I got back to my front door, I had found this clarity, this stillness inside my mind, body and soul again. And I walk in the door, my dog jumps up on me. He's always happy when I come home. And then my wife looks at me and she goes, you're back. And I was like, yeah, yeah. Like I told you I was coming back like tonight. And she goes, no, you're back. Like you're back. Like she could just see it in my, in my spirit was back. And I was like, yeah, you're right. Like I have, I feel so much better than I felt in so long. And so she says to me, I mean, I just think to myself like, great. Like I'm the guy who walked across Antarctica by himself. Cool. Like a long walk, like was great to clear my mind. Didn't think this necessarily had like a broad application, but it was amazing to me that I didn't have to go all the way back to Antarctica to kind of find this place in my mind again. And during COVID, of course, we all had, you know, as I did, friends, family members, colleagues, all sorts of different people in our life and our orbit that were struggling, right? We're just having these difficulties in this moment in time. And so I just started suggesting this to people. I started saying to people like, hey, like might sound ridiculous, but like I did this walk and it like, you know, changed things for me. And before I knew it, tons of people in my orbit started taking me up um, on this on this concept, you know, you know, people young, old, you know, different fitness levels. Because I said, I don't care if you go for one mile or 50 miles, take as many breaks as you want, but commit to the 12 hours alone in stillness, walk out your front door. My 77 year old mother-in-law did the 12 hour walk for her. It was walking one time around her block then sitting on her front porch in silence for an hour and then doing another walk. My, my ultra marathon friend did 50 miles in 12 hours, but like neither one of them are doing it better than the other because it's an exercise of the mind. It's an exercise of taking a day with no music, no podcast, no, no social media, and just tapping into the power of the mind. And, you know, so I wrote this book, the 12 hour walk, which of course, goes more than just the walk itself. It goes into these deep adventure stories. It's page turning. It's exciting. It's all about how we can break through all the limiting beliefs that we have in our own mind. I don't have enough money. I'm not strong enough. What if I fail? What if people criticize me? And so it's through that lens, but at its core, it's this call to action. And it's a call to action of anyone listening to this podcast right now, which is take the 12 hour walk. This investment of one day in yourself I'm guessing you probably haven't spent a day in your adult life, if ever, without your phone, without music, without talking to somebody in a stillness. And every single person that I've known to take the walk, it's hard at times. Feet get tired. People get kind of stuck in their own head on some negative loops. But I've never known someone to get back to their front door after 12 hours and not feel rejuvenated, renewed, recreated, full of creativity, full of um, confidence, strength. It has been a deeply impactful experience. And so my goal with this project um, is to start a global movement and inspire 10 million people to take the 12 hour walk. Um, and so that's what the new book, the 12 hour walk is about. And that's what this movement's about. You can go to 12 hourwalkcom and commit and sign up, pick a date. It's obviously completely free. It's out your front door, but it's a reset that I think we all need. So the subtitle says it best invest one day, conquer your mind and unlock your best life. Mm. Yeah. We love a best life. Colin, this is so cool to hear out loud because I think a lot of times we I mean, say, say I saw you on the Jimmy Fallon show, or I would have read your something in the Forbes and watched you on the Ted talks or whatever, but to hear you in this like long form, right. To be able to share these stories and how, how one adventure led to now this book and 
and now a movement, right? A global movement is something that not a lot of people are going to be willing to willing to bite off and chew. This is so freaking exciting. You know, when, and then, so that now I got to ask you, we've talked about mental clarity in the sense that like 12 hours of a, of a walk can lead to that. But now when people are going through, say they're just like physically active one day and they just somehow get clarity through, you know, positive thoughts that are coming, coming down the pipeline or, you know, combating the negative ones, like you had said with, with what you'd went through in Antarctica as well. Do you have any tips for kind of like navigating your thoughts while going through that mental clarity journey? Because I think a lot of times, like the whole point of stillness is to collect those thoughts. A lot of people meditate, they do their thing, whatever. I mean, if you're listening, you probably have like 900 different, you know, remedies and and most people do, but in that 12 hours, for instance, what are you doing with your thoughts? How are you activating when you get back into that? Like, you know, when, when you're back from your walk and et cetera. Yeah, no, it's a great question. Um, and, and there's a reason that there's a, a full book written about this. So I know we're going long form on the podcast, but <laughs> the shorter form than the full book, um, you know, the, the, the book itself, you know, brings through uh, a lot of that and different mindsets that we have or different roadblocks we have and how we can, um, you know, combat that, you know, as well. Um, also on the 12 hourwalkcom there's a lot of FAQs that, you know, people ask that are, you know, some are just logistical, like, where do I go to the bathroom and what kind of shoes should I wear? You know, that kind of stuff. And so, so it's got a lot of tips and tricks of just like the how of this. It's like I said, it's meant to be very accessible. Something you can do right out um, your front door and then integrate integrating that. Right. Um, so I, am not just trying to, I'm not trying to punt the question and say like, well, there's more to it. Uh, it's just that there's a little bit more to it than can share, you know, concisely here, but the long and short of it is both the book, the website, the app that helps to support, uh, the movement, um, emails, et cetera, kind of help people, um, with that process. Um, it's as simple, I mean, but it's also simple, right? Cause the whole thing can be summed up in a, in a tweet length thing, walk out your front door, put your phone on airplane mode and be alone with your thoughts. Say you, you in know? 12 hours. Yeah. Yeah. But there is also, you know, some guiding questions that, that I like to ask, particularly before and after, because um, integration is key. You know, the, the important part of this 12 hour walk is it's not like I'm trying to trick you and say that when you get back after 12 hours, I'm like, so right, throw your phone in the trash, be a monk, you know, quit your job and do not, you know, whatever, go live in the mountains and, you know, s- sit in stillness every single day. Like that's mm-hmm. not the on ramp to that. It's the opposite of that. It's like, look, like, I love that you and I are sitting here in a digital space with one another, you know, having this. I love technology. I use social media regularly. Like I, I, I live a nor- quote unquote normal life connected to all the things that we're all connected. <laughs> yeah. I have a, I have a to-do list and all this kind of stuff. The 12 hour walk is really meant as a deep reset. It's a deep way to clarify your priorities and clarify your mindset. So you can take that back into your day-to-day life. Now, obviously with the thousands of people that have done the 12 hour walk, I have people come back and want to make major shifts in their life or, or learn, you know, wow, like this relationship isn't serving me anymore. You know what? Maybe it is time to make a career transition. So there obviously this stillness and silence gives you an opportunity to have some of those like bigger, you know, conversations with yourself that you might be avoiding, but it's really meant to be an additive part of your life, how to make you a better parent, a better spouse, a better, um, you know, more productive colleague league, um, et cetera, really your best version of yourself. But I always believe, you know, it's, we're, sometimes we're so busy taking up they taking care of other people, our family, our friends, et cetera. And it's great to be a great community member in that context, but sometimes we forget to take care of ourselves. We forget to like check in with our own priorities. And then that ends up, you know, I, I tell a story at the front of this book and I'll, I'll paraphrase it here, but I was invited to speak. I do a lot of public speaking and I was invited to speak for this big, you know, Wall Street event a couple of years ago. Um, And the night before the event, there's going to be a talk in front of like 500 people or something like that. And they invited me to this small intimate dinner um, of like eight CEOs, like, you know, hedge fund managers, bank CEOs, like big, you know, like guys worth hundreds of millions, billion dollars, you know, very wealthy kind of crowd. Uh, Not necessarily my my typical crowd. I showed up there in a a t-shirt and jeans and these guys are wearing like, you know, uh, Armani suits and hundred thousand dollar watches kind of deal. Um, but, uh, it was a great conversation. You know, we talked about all sorts of stuff. They're curious. They're asking me like, you know, how, what was it? Do you see dead bodies when you're climbing Everest? Tell me about (laughs) rowing. I I rode a boat when I I rode a boat across Drake passage from the Southern tip of South America to Antarctica, 40 foot swells and a 28 foot rowboat. And I, you know, talking about this. And then I love to ask this question. Like I said before, I said like, well, what's your guys' Everest? Like, what's your Everest, you know? And I expected this room full of such successful guys to be like, oh, it was this, it was that. And like, just kind of like this whole conversation, all of a sudden the room goes silent. 
And it's, you know, we've all had that moment where like someone says something awkward and you're like, and I'm like, Oh, did I say the wrong thing? Like, and the conversation just kind of moves on, but like no one really answers, responds as I'm getting ready to leave. Um, you know, at the end of the night, you know, I'm saying goodbye, shaking people's hands, you know, just walking, you know, go to the elevator and this older gentleman comes up and he taps me on the shoulder. He's probably one of the older guys in the room, 75, 80 years old, older gentleman. And he says, Hey, can I have a minute of your time? And I said, yeah, sure. And he, uh, he pulls me aside and he says, you know, you asked an important question back there and I'm sorry that I didn't answer or no one else kind of answered that. And he goes, he looks at me and he goes, I've made more money than you could ever imagine. He goes, but there's not a single day that I don't go back now in my mind and wonder what would have happened if I actually had the gumption to ask myself what my Mount Everest was. He's like, I've summoned a lot of mountains, but maybe it wasn't the mountain that I was meant to climb. And then he goes on and he goes, I remember this. He goes, I remember when I was 12 years old at summer camp in the Catskills and the simplicity and the stillness that I felt in that moment in time. And he just kind of left it there. He was getting kind of teary-eyed. And this was surprising from this like strong, confident, badass, you know, everything from the outside looking in, very, you know, successful guy. And I share that story at the top of the book because it's not to vilify the rich or the poor. Mm. It's about the money or not. It's not about that. It's about any of us can get to the end of our life, no matter where we end up and be that old man, meaning be the person sitting there going, man, I wish I had done something differently with my life. I wish I invested my time, my energy, my spirit into something else. Instead, I got caught up living somebody else's life or having doing the expectations of what I thought the world wanted from me or Mm. didn't want from me. And so this 12 hour walk is really, it's not just this, but one of its main essences is a cure to not being not getting to the end of your life and having regrets, right? And that requires checking in with yourself. That requires checking in with yourself. And again, maybe it's not a 180 degree shift that you make at the end of this, but by checking into yourself, you go, oh, I love these five things about my life, but there's this one thing I do every day that like isn't serving me. How do I shift away from that? Or what do I really care about? Man, I want to spend more time with my family or I want like, like, I don't have the answer for you, right? Like, I don't have the answer for you. You only have the answer for you, but you only have that answer by going inward. It's so easy to stay distracted. I get that next dopamine hit on social media by, by taking the next meeting to, to go to the next to-do list, the thing on your to-do list and just have it days or weeks or months or years roll by like that. And so the 12 hour walk is an intentional reset in your mind, body, and spirit to go, okay, let me just look inward for a second. And I always find for people, and it happens to me every time I do the 12 hour walk too. Those first three or four hours, your mind is still just chattering, 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 and all the million like things. And you're like, whatever, but there always hits a point. And all the people I've known do the 12 hour walk halfway through or towards the latter half, where all of a sudden, like you get past like that surface level chatter and you tap back in to the kind of essence of your own spirit. And it's really powerful. That's crazy cool. Sometimes that's all I can say after such an extraordinary soundbite like that. You're the reason this podcast exists. I'm like, you know, yeah, like I can storytell all day long, but that's boring. Everything you've said is extraordinary and it's fucking cool to hear. Uh, Colin, you mentioned the word check in a little bit ago, and I have to ask you if you've checked in with that CEO that got teary eyed with you after you spoke to them. Um, I haven't directly spoken to him, um, believe it or not. Uh, I'm not really sure where life has taken him. I should, I should reach back out to him since I, uh, I don't call him out by name in my book, but he certainly had an impact on, on me. Um, mm. And I think, uh, you know, when there's 10 million people, hopefully that take this 12 hour walk, um, you know, he'll be one of them part of that for sure. Yeah. I just asked that because if he's at the front of your book, he had to have been at the front of your mind throughout writing it. You know what I mean? And in in some context, I did have a 80 year old man email me a couple of days ago who had completed the 12 hour walk. And I got on a zoom call with him and it was an extraordinary conversation, um, of just this guy, guy that says like, you know, so many people half his age say, Oh, that's too long for me. I'm not busy. And like, I just 80 year old man's like, yo, I just did, I heard you on a podcast and I did the 12 hour walk the next day. Like I had to do it. Um, and it was so incredible to talk with this guy, really, really impactful. Um, and, uh, some really, really powerful insights. And then him and I got into this whole conversation about, 
you know, he was talking to me, he's like, I've been married to my wife for 57 years, or, you know, talking about being a father, a grandfather, you know, career successes he's had and whatever. But even for him at this phase of life, he's like, but I'm 80, you know, he's like, I know I'm towards the end of my life. I've got more days in my rear view mirror than I have in front of me. He's like, but I still want these days to be as full as they can be. And I needed that. I needed that check in with myself. So it was just inspiring to hear someone, you know, more than twice as old as I am, basically still having this introspection of it doesn't matter how far close we are to the quote unquote end of our life. We still as human beings want that desire to maximize that, maximize the fulfillment, um, the, the enjoyment, the curiosity of the days that we do have left to make the mm-hmm. most of them all. Mm. And then you say fulfillment. I, I I can see in your face now watching you talk this entire time that like you have to feel fulfilled. There's so much passion and like love with what you get to do. Did you see any of this for yourself? Maybe back you when, know, when funny. you started thinking about going on like what I consider crazy adventures of life that have now led to your extraordinary superhuman, mm-hmm. you know, experience. But, you know, did you expect any of this or want any of this? I think it's funny. I, I love the, there's a great Steve Jobs quote, which you've probably heard in his Stanford uh, commencement speech where he says, it's almost impossible to connect the dots going forward, but you can connect them going backwards. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I love the essence of that um, because it's always no matter. And, and I taught in the book to be clear, the 12 hour walk is not a highlight reel of my life. Like in this book, I'm sharing mostly a bunch of vulnerable times where I've fallen and gotten scraped up and made mistakes and had to shift my mindset to kind of pull myself out of them and teaching from that standpoint of actually not just theoretical like let me tell you all the times I failed let me tell you all the times I got stuck in my own mind because I'm a right. you know it's very kind of you to say I'm a superhuman but you know if I, I love to say you know if I'm a superhuman then you're a superhuman because every single human being on this planet we have access to the same superpower which is our ability to flex and develop what I like to call the six inches between our ears our minds right but one important thing is that we'd say like you know if you're like yo it's summer man like i want to i want to be jacked and fit you know have ripped abs for the beach you know because i want to look real good in the summer like i want to have big biceps like we immediately go to like cool so you're going to go to the gym you're going to lift weights like you're if you want if you want to have that goal you're going to have to probably eat healthy but more importantly you're going to like go to the bench press and hit the bench press every single day then you're going to get like whatever jacked what's funny about the mind is that for whatever reason, culturally, we don't immediately do the same thing. You're like, yo, I want to be more mentally sharp. I want to have more grit. I want to have more resilience. I want to have more creativity. And like, my answer to that is like, yeah, just like you want to have the, the, the ripped biceps for the beach or whatever, like you got to take your mind to the mental gym. You got to mm. do those reps on the mental bench press. And the 12 hour walk is a free accessible right out your front door access point to that. And it doesn't stop there. Obviously, that just opens the door to it's not like you got to do a 12 hour walk every single day. But then what are the daily practices that you stack on top of that afterwards? But it is a muscle. I use that word, the six inches between our ears, most important muscle. I use the word muscle very intentionally there to say like, yeah, I'm a superhuman. You're a superhuman. And our superpower that we all have is the ability to flex and develop our mind and all of the things, even that's a physical manifestation of those things come and start with a strong and sharp, strong and sharp mind. I don't think I can end this podcast episode any other way by then asking you because you've been able to connect so many dots behind you to what you had mentioned with Steve Jobs commencement speech. Now that you can kind of project where you want this to go now, where does Colin already want to take all this momentum? Uh, what are your hopes? I mean, obviously you've created, um, you know, not just a community, but you've written these two books and you've gotten in the media around all this, you know, uh, this experience now, but, uh, you know, what, what's kind of that, let me convert this dream into, I think I can to then I know I can right? And the dream into a belief for the next phase of your life. What are you getting excited about? You know, and people always ask me, you know, what's the next big adventure? And, you know, I, I love adventures. I will definitely continue to travel. I'll continue to push my body in unique and interesting ways. Um, so I know that to be true. But also in that question that we've talked a lot here, like, you know, what's your Everest? I love to ask other people that question. I've asked, you know, school kids that question with my nonprofit. I've asked, you know, billionaire CEOs that question and every, every person in between. But I, I never forget that even though I've climbed Mount Everest twice, I got to keep asking myself that question, right? I got to actually keep asking myself. I'm going to kick my feet up and, you know, I'm 37 years old. I got a long life in front of me. Like, what's my next Everest? And 
you know, I want everyone to pick up the 12 hour walk because I think you'll really enjoy the read and, and get a lot of impact from it. But at the end of that book, not to give it away, but I do answer that question. I say, well, I've asked you all this question. It's only fair that I answer this question for myself. Colin, what is your Everest? And I say this with, 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 with total, total compassion or total uh, commitment, which is my next Everest is literally to inspire 10 million people to do the 12 hour walk. And, and why it's not like I get, I don't get a dollar for every person that does a 12 hour walk. This is free. Like you go on my website and pick a date and sign up. Like it's literally, it is free for you to do this 12 hour walk out your front door with your own pair of shoes. So why, why do I care so much? Because that's the world I want to live in, man. Mm. Um, the world I want to live in is a world where people are not held back by limiting beliefs anymore. A, a world where people are living with possible mindsets. We're asking themselves, what do I want to do? What do I want to contribute? What impact do I want to leave behind? Because I think if 10 million people are walking through life that way, the ripple effect is actually to hundreds of millions, if not billions of people. We have the ability mm. to impact ourselves. And when we impact ourselves, we impact others so significantly. And and so my deep passion is to ignite this global movement and every single person that takes this 12 hour walk. I know it. Cause I talk to people when they finish, they send me notes, they send me messages that says, Oh my God, thank you. I needed this. I'm going to take this into my life in this way. And so my next real big Everest right now is really inspiring this level of change. You know, I love, you know, you mentioned storytelling many times on this and, you know, I'm a passionate storyteller from my public speaking to the way that I like to write, et cetera. But why it's not because I just want people to sit here and go, wow, Colin, cool story. I want want people because stories go back to you know go back to you know human population thousands and thousands of years ago we have been spreading messages to each other by storytelling forever it is why mm. it is such a powerful medium no matter what but it's mostly powerful when it's not passive when it's like wow i heard this story and therefore it made me take this action in my life or make yeah. this change and so that's why for me it's not you know, I guess I could have ended any one of my books of like, and then I did it. I'm awesome. Me, the world record holder. But that's not how I speak at all. I'm like, I'm only sharing this story with you because I think the value in sharing is that for you to look through that your own lens and for you to ask yourself your own questions. And so get outside, take that 12 hour walk for yourself. The answer I love to say to people is it's inside of you, man. You know, mm -hmm. you know the answer for you. I don't know the answer for you, but I can help you get there. You sure did. Cause you've convinced me to take a 12 hour walk. I run every day and now it's time to go take a 12 hour walk. Colin O'Brady, I, I can't thank you enough for saying yes to doing this with me, uh, for sharing all those stories and ultimately kind of, not kind of really, you're inspiring a lot of folks to really get out of their head, uh, in a healthy way. Uh, and then go forth. like you had said with a possible mindset. And that's just so, I said this three times I've been counting so freaking cool. You know, it's not until someone like you walks across our a podcast like this, uh, where people can tune in and, and just really know that that potential can be tapped into uh, and should be. And in starting with the 12 hour walk sounds like a pretty good start to me. So uh, thank you so much again for joining me on the men of the hour, man. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Hey friends, Justin again. Well, that was the conversation today and I hope you took plenty away from it. For those who keep coming back to this podcast, I want to say thank you for always being here and growing with my guests and I over the years. And if you're new to the Men of the Hour show, thank you for being here and I'd love for you to come back next time by clicking that subscribe button. Oh, and for all of us tuning in right now, I'd love to hear your thoughts on today's episode by leaving a rating and review right where you're listening. Until next week, I'm your host, Justin Crawford. Continue taking care of yourself and inspiring others to do the same. 